This is unstructured. Hey everybody, today we have Este Rand or Esty Rand of Strand Consulting, also the host of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. Now, Esty is going to help get my head straight around something I'm not good at. I almost think of it as a dirty word, entrepreneurship. She is a business consultant and let's start with that. All right. What is it you do? I help business owners earn more money with less headache. That's what I do. Okay. Show's over. Thanks, everybody. No. Oh. <laughs> now, let's put that into perspective. I, I, I've done some research on you, and you've come up with some, some slogans and terms that are very interesting. Like, you've mentioned truthful marketing. What would, how would you describe that? Sure. So truthful marketing is kind of a, a two-pronged approach to marketing. It's marketing from your place of truth, which means getting to know who you are, what your strengths are, what your reason is for being here. And uh, all of uh, the marketing, right? And then we have to define marketing, which I do as the creation and communication of value of your product or service to your target audience to convince them to buy. I'll say it slower. Make Thank stuff you. people want to pay for. Okay. Okay. But that comes from who you are and what your passion is and what drives you to provide. Now, it involves the people that will want to buy it, but it comes from your own place of truth, not because there's something popular now or because your neighbor's doing it or because it looks like it'll earn good money or because you've got some free time. It comes from your place of truth, and that's how I, I sell it from a place of honesty. And it's also truthful marketing, which is working with the truth about what marketing really is. And People will say marketing, you know, if you're saying entrepreneurship is a dirty word, marketing is a way dirtier word, right? It's manipulative and it's disgusting and it's underhanded and they're thieves and, and it's not. I will completely agree that it's a manipulation, okay? It definitely is. But to manipulate is not bad. To manipulate metal is just to form and bend it. And so marketing mm -hmm. definitely manipulates perceptions. But you know what? The fact that most people don't lose their teeth today is because there was a marketer back in the early 1900s who had to sell toothpaste, and okay. he did, it's one of the classic, classic marketing campaigns where they actually changed the product around. They put baking soda in it so that you'd feel the tingle on your teeth so that you keep using it. And he anchored it, right? We knew we need to brush our teeth when we feel that kind of like filmy, yucky on our teeth, like, oh, I need to brush them. You know mm -hmm. who did that? A marketer did that. That was not a <laughs> dentist's invention. That was a marketer's invention. He needed to sell toothpaste. He needed to anchor people's need for toothpaste to something that they experience in their daily life. So we created an entire campaign around, ah, oh, you feel that film on your teeth? You need to brush them. Anchoring um, as a term, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong isn't it also a, a tool used in pricing? Yes, where when we anchor to the left, Okay, so... It's also where you take It's a, used in many, many places. It's also we anchor left. So the reason you'll price something at one ninety nine is because our brain anchors left on the one. Because when you read okay. left to right, your brain starts at the left. So this is not true of people whose native tongue, by the way, and whose mother tongue reads right to left. And there are a couple languages like that. So I don't think it's the same thing there. But it is hmm. true when we naturally read left to right, our brain starts at the left. We, quote unquote, anchor there. And so that's kind of okay. this, like this weird thing in my brain that says 199, that's totally less than two because there's a one in it and it starts with a one. So it's like this weird part of my brain that doesn't seem to understand that like 199 is pretty much the same as two. Okay. And I also had heard that it was used in the sense of, I want to sell my widget for 199. So I make another one for 350. 
Correct. And then and I feel I, like the 199 one is a bargain. And right. every um, food service industry does this, every caterer. Okay. Most standard service-based businesses, the reason they have three tiers is because the average person will pick the middle, but you need to create a middle for them. And so I anchor it like that in the middle where I have this low cost option and I have a premium option and your average person wants the average. And so I have to create an average for them. And if you see it, no, we see it the strongest in catering and in food service where, you know, they've got their basic plan and they've got their super premium and they've got like, you know, their value option, right? Their, their standard plate, if you will. Okay. Do you ever run into that where sometimes things could be priced too cheaply? Oh, for sure. That it's, you can price yourself out of the market either by being too expensive or too cheap. People don't realize this. And this is 100% true. And this is actually one of the biggest pieces of truthful marketing, which is understanding that there's a truth in marketing. If you're not willing to play the game, you're out of it. It's not enough just to market from your place of truth. It's not enough to say, hey, I made this great widget. Everyone's going to want to want buy it. They're going to use it really well and they're going to love it. And I don't need to do marketing. I just need to tell them that there's a widget. And it's not true. I need to tell them there's a widget in a way that they can understand that they need to buy this and I need to play the right game. And I always like to explain it like it's a couple going on a first date. Yeah. And, you know, the guy says, or the girl says, you know, at some point in the relationship, I'm going to look kind of gross and I'm going to wake up kind of smelly and my hair is going to be all messed up and I'm not going to be wearing any makeup, um, whether I'm the guy or the girl, it's 2018. And so I should probably go on my first date looking like I look because I want to know who the real me is. Okay. That's absolute stupidity. And when someone tries to market a product or service like that, they're doing the exact same thing. Well, I should tell them everything that might go wrong with it. Cause that's honesty. No, it's not honesty. It's stupidity because people naturally assume that means that there's something way worse with it. If you're starting there. And so the same thing, someone goes on a first date. If I present myself like that, someone doesn't assume, Hey, she's really being honest. They assume, wow, she must be really messed up. if this is how she's showing up to a first date. So there's an, a truth in marketing and what the world looks like today. And if you don't play by those rules in an honest way, then you're not in. And so, yeah, go ahead. Could it be considered almost a respect then, you know, using that, um, that dating analogy, I would almost say that, well, no, I'm showing that I'm taking an effort because they're important enough to me to bother taking an effort. Um, you could, but I would be coming at it more of a perspective of communication is a two way street. And so it's not enough for me to say something. I have to speak in the language that the other person understands. And so getting dressed up, yes, it's a respecting, but I'm looking at it more of it's a communication and it's not enough for me to communicate what I think I'm saying. I need to do it in a way that the other person can understand. And the other person's not going to understand that I'm trying to be honest by showing up looking gross. They're going to understand Mm -hmm. that there's something really wrong with me because that's not what people do. And it's not how sales are done and how business is done. So I don't just say, well, the thing only cost me $10 to make. And this is going to answer your your underpricing um, question. It cost me $10 to make. And so I could just sell it for, okay, the truth is you need at least a, a two-time markup even on on wholesale, right? So naturally, it's a three-time market. If it costs you $10 to make, I'm selling it for 30 That's standard, okay? So I'm going to sell it for 30 I'll still earn money. Now, it's not true because- Part of the truth of marketing is that people ascribe value according to cost, right? I go into a store and I see a vase on the shelf and it costs $350. And I see another vase on the shelf and it costs 35. I will assume that the $350 one is more valuable. Now, if it's not, there's a dishonesty there in the root, okay? If it is, then it needs to be priced accordingly, even if it costs them less because the consumer will not value it. 
And so all of these pieces kind of work together because I need to communicate in the way other people understand. And so if I price something too low, but I make it look really exciting and enticing, all I do is confuse people. And I don't, I don't think it's so much a disrespect as it is. It's, it's a lack of intelligence and a mismatch in communication. So it's like, let's go back to dating, right? Mm -hmm. I say to the guy, Hey, this was so amazing. I had the best time. Could you never, ever call me again? And <laughs> what? 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 But that's what people will do in business all the time. This is such an amazing product and you have to buy it and you're going to love it and it's fantastic and it will save your life and alter your life and it's $3.99. And you're like, like what? This is, there's a mismatch and I'm just confused and I won't buy it if I'm confused. It doesn't matter how cheap it is. Okay. Okay. So things need to line up and make sense in the uh, consumer mind. Correct. And they need to align themselves with what else is out there. Uh, all right. Um, now, one one question I know you like discussing, and so you have before, but can you s explain the difference between advertising and marketing? Totally. Advertising is one teeny tiny little, like maybe like five to 10% of marketing. And so many people define marketing as advertising. It's absolutely not. Marketing is everything that I do to create and communicate value. So my marketing will actually create the value of what I'm selling. So for example, pricing is a function of marketing. It's a function of financials, right? The amount that I sell something for needs to, at the minimum, cover my costs and earn me the amount of money I needed to earn to sustain my business. Beyond that, it's a communication of value and it creates value in the consumer's mind. Channel, place is an aspect of marketing, where people find me. If I sell... Um, Lipstick, right? Because I'm female. If I sell lipstick in a makeup counter in Macy's or Nordstrom's or any of these big department stores, which are slowly dying out, but that's a different conversation, <laughs> as opposed to CVS or Rite Aid, which they're also dying out, but that's a different conversation. Okay. But either way, right now, they're still here for the moment today. We'll do the Apple store in the mall. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I would expect that the lipstick in CVS or Rite Aid is of a poorer quality than the one in Macy's. So my location ascribes value hmm. and my pricing needs to match. And my promotion, how I get people's attention should match. So while I might do a, a massive commercial advertising campaign for a commoditized beauty product, something that's in Macy's, sorry, something that's in CVS or Rite Aid, if I'm trying to build hmm. an exclusive brand, Right, or I'm going to open up a tiny little store on Rodea with this super fancy makeup line. I'm not mm. going to commoditize it. I'm not going to put coupons in a circular to get a discount on it. That's a complete mm. mismatch. And so advertising is one tiny piece and it's got to match the rest of it. And so the rest of it, part of it is the, the audience is a big part of marketing. Who are these people? What do they want? What do they want from me? How do they want to use it? How do they want to understand it? Where do they want to find it? How much do they expect to pay for it? How do they compare it to other things that are out there? Who do I align with? Even if you have something brand new, there's something like it. So they, let's say they've got these brand new mice now, right? Brand new. Like five years ago, right? I was seeing ads for like this ring mouse. I forgot what it's called. You can wear it. It's a ring, right? It never right. really took off. But even if it's this brand new tech, it's like a mouse. And I think one of the reasons it didn't take off is because they totally neglected to realize they're competing with a mouse and a stylus. <laughs> and so you right. have to recognize that that's your market. And that's what people are going to buy instead of you. And how do you align with it is part of your marketing. It's part of how you create and communicate value to people to convince them to buy. All of that is marketing. Advertising is one piece of promotion and promotion is just how I get people's attention. 
There's also process. My sales guy and I have a long-standing disagreement on this. He says that marketing serves sales. I say that sales serves marketing, but obviously he serves me. I hired him. Um, so he's my sales guy. He works for me. I am marketing. He is sales. Sales works for marketing. He says, no, marketing works for sales. Marketing gets the people in and sales closes the deal. And I say, absolutely not. Sales is just one of the functions of how I t- convert people from attention into money. Okay. Uh, out of curiosity, when you're mentioning everything lining up in the market and everything else, as a case study, was that the failure of Ron Johnson and uh, JC Penney? The fact he went in with a, a one price angle, which is kind of more of the Apple style semi upscale, like, no, this is the shirt, this is the price, you come in, you pay. But the market had been trained and they expected that, no, we're going to have those markdown codes, those coupons that pile up of discounts, as you described before. Um, so I don't know enough about the story, but based on what you're, I haven't read up on this specific, this specific okay. story, but based on what you're saying and what I have in my head of JCPenney, it's a discount place. It's a discount mm-hmm. chain. And so to upgrade it, you'd have to do what J. Crew did. Um, which they did extremely successfully already over 10 years ago, where J. Crew used to be almost like an Old Navy type of store, right? Mm-hmm. And they converted themselves to be this super high end where they have like tailors in house and like, you know, they went from selling, you know, a pair of pants for maybe $25, $30 to $130. And that was a, a massive jump. They changed everything else about their branding also. They changed how their locations are set up and who's there. They changed the look of their advertising. They changed where they were located. If you don't change everything, you can't change just one thing. You can't say, oh, now we're fancy. Look, we look fancy and we changed our pricing. But you still feel like JCPenney. Hmm. Okay. Never thought of that. Now we can jump into another um, thing I know that you like talking about. You have a pet peeve about consulting. I do. You want to go into it? Um, Which one are we talking about? About the pseudo consultants who think they can help people and don't know what they're talking about? Okay, there's one. But how um, how about those who can't consult? Um, how I describe it, like you're, you're going to tell me how to, you're going to, um, how are you going to tell me how to run my grocery when you haven't built a grocery? Oh, that one. (laughs) Right. Um, yeah, I actually once had this, a guy came to me, he's like, well, if you're so good at building businesses, why didn't you build one? I'm like, what, what is it you think that I do exactly? Like, where do you think I get? You're good at selling apples and canned goods, and I'm really good at helping people build businesses. So you built a business on what you're good at, and I built one on what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that some people can teach. Even some people can teach. Uh, okay, let's figure out how to explain this. I think a lot of people look at consultants as someone who has had to have had success in the specific area that they are consulting on. Mm-hmm. And it's not true. Um, on both fronts, someone who's been an extremely successful business owner found something that worked for them. And if they consult with you and tell you to do exactly what they did, there's nothing to say that it will work for you. 
you're different than they are. The market circumstances are different than they are. But we look at them and say, ah, you have done it. So I will copy you and I will learn from you and I will stand at your feet until I figure it out. And then there's a group of people, and I would like to count myself among them, who I have not grown a pie company, nor have I grown a clothing line, nor have I run my own bakery, nor have I owned a fitness center. However, I have grown all of those kinds of businesses through my clients. And if you understand business or you really understand marketing or you really understand numbers, you can apply that in any industry. And so as a consultant, the way I look at consulting is I will take even a bigger step back. The way I look at what I do, it's a blend of coaching, consulting, teaching. So I don't like to call myself a coach because to be called a coach is even worse to be called a consultant in 2018 because uh, it means absolutely nothing except that you maybe are a charlatan or a fraud or a semi-retired person who's looking for some spare cash. Um, I look at it. That, that's kind coach. of what I... Um, I'm, I happen to be a certified one, but not. I would never advertise it. So shh, you guys, you can hear me say that. I'm not. I'm absolutely not. No, so I got certified as a coach like 10 years ago and I thought it would... I wanted to help people. I didn't want to be a therapist. I don't like dealing with people's problems. I absorb them too deeply and I carry them with me. I carry my business owners companies with me. So if someone disappears from me and they will sometimes because they're not obligated to reach out to me, I will totally email them six months later. By the way, whatever happened with that thing? And they're like, Essie, like, why did you even remember that? Because I carry your business with me. It's just part of it. So I wanted to do something where I could help people. And to me, coaching is drawing from someone and helping them get to where they want to go. It's starting at a baseline and going up as opposed to starting at a baseline and going down and cleaning out the dirt underneath, which is kind of how I look at therapy and psychotherapy. And so that's a coaching piece. Consulting is I might just know more than you. I've seen certain things. I've done certain things. And I'm going to tell you what I think you should do. You can listen or not listen. Right. And if you don't, then I take no responsibility for the fact that my advice didn't work because you didn't use it or you used it differently. Okay. I, I love analogies. Would it be fair to compare it to coaching, which you hate? in sports that the coach of the football team or the basketball team may or may not have actually been a good athlete themselves. Totally. By the way, I don't hate coaching. I hate how people perceive coaching today and how people are misusing it. I think that coaching in and of itself, I've been told that I'm quite good at it. I love it. I won't advertise it because it's, uh, it's like the word, it's like the word holistic. It's just gotten completely abused and destroyed. Organic. I think the word holistic is great. Exactly. Organic. I think these are great words and they're great concepts and people misuse them and they just destroy them. And so I think the concept of a coach, a business coach, or even a life coach has been destroyed by the flooding in the market of so many people who try to do it and try to piggyback on the term and don't have any clue what it really means. Okay. Well, cool. Now, one thing I think was pretty neat is you kind of um, laid out your story I understand you got laid off several years back. I quit, oh, okay. to be fair. Okay, you quit. <laughs> uh, you, you were in an in untenable situation. I was. I was in an untenable situation. I might have gotten laid off had I stuck around long enough, but I left before they had the opportunity. Okay, I, I apologize for that. But you managed to very quickly build up a consulting business. Now, your methodology is kind of interesting because... I think uh, it has been stated you didn't do a lot of advertising or anything like that. So how, how did you go about it? So I didn't do advertising in the classical sense because, again, if you understand marketing, advertising is such a small piece. Um, I did a lot of promotion that didn't cost me money. So, again, back to truthful marketing. Marketing from your place of truth is knowing your strength. I like to talk a lot. <laughs> 
in case you didn't notice. Um, and I like to teach. I've actually been teaching from before I was doing anything. Uh, I fell into teaching my very early 20s totally by accident, and I found that I really liked it. And so I got my business off the ground by teaching, giving workshops, giving classes, giving seminars, piggybacking a lot of nonprofits that were helping um, entrepreneurs or existing business owners and offering free classes through them. And then using those classes, at one point I had like a 33% client conversion rate from those wow. from those workshops. Yeah, that was really, really good. Um, and there's a way to standard? teach those. I think a lot lower. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't know because when I tell that number to people who even do the same thing as me, they're like, whoa. Uh, I think it depends on the size of your audience. I was doing very small groups. Okay. So when I say 33%, so I'm talking to a group of 10, 20 people. I'm getting between three and six clients. So it's yeah. a lot of that. Again, it's great. I'm not complaining. It's just to understand a perspective. When someone says something like this, people leave out the details. Right? I love statistics. I love statistical mm. analysis. I love statistical manipulation, not when it's dishonest. And most of it is. All right. Because you say like 5% of people this. They never tell you all the rest of the details, you know, and you position it always in the way that it it says the message you want it to say. So someone right. says something like, I had a 38% client conversion rate. Someone else pictures in their head, oh, wow, SD spoke to an audience of 100 people, got 33 clients. I didn't. These were, right. these were small groups. And so I, I built one little piece of that two of them came on board. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, when I first started, ooh, should I even say this? Okay. So- my first client was a referral, was, was a total word of mouth recommendation from another, another coach that I knew who knew that I was getting started. I had actually just gotten certified and I didn't even know what I was doing yet. I was still one of these like do everything freelancers. I was still working part time while I was full time employed at my, at that place that I left from. And uh, so it was just a referral. Now, when I went out and did my own business, that first client became like five different people because I had done so many different things with her that when I would mm. get a lead and they would say, well, can you do this? I'd be like, yeah, I totally did this. I did this, this, and this with my clients. Like, oh, can you do that? Yeah, I did that, that, and that with my client. <laughs> Not explaining that that was all the same. And I did all of it. I was completely honest. I did all of it. It just might have sounded like I did it with more than one person. <laughs> okay. I, you did uh, web design for a client. You did social exactly. work or social for a client. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's all the same client. <laughs> Whatever works. So we stretch it, but then there were two and then there were three and then there were five and then there were 10. And then it just, you know, at this point, guys, it, it isn't just one client. I promise. <laughs> it's really, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. You actually have a full staff on hand from what I understand. I do. So it's full and small at the same time. It's, there are five key people that I work with every single day. And then like another 10 contractors that I'll bring in depending on the project. Now, are all these people um, physically there or are they virtually? Tied? Not even one, 100% virtual. I actually hired someone middle of this past year um, in office and it didn't work for me at all. I was like, get out. Get, get, why are you bothering me? Like, I'm in a meeting. Like, don't be in my space. I love that my team is virtual. They can message me. And when I get to it, I get back to them. When someone's in your office, they're like looking at you and you're looking at them. And I'm like, I have other stuff to do. Just Send me an email. I don't care if you're down the hall, okay? <laughs> and get out of my little glass box because I need my privacy. It did not work for me. I love my virtual team. And they are at the moment one, two, three, four different time zones. Nice. So I can get things done almost any time of day. Nice. I know Cisco does that. They have call centers around the world answer at different points of time for time spread. 
Totally. Yeah. And I, when I interviewed at Bloomberg, they had, you know, clocks on the wall, four different clocks. So I have now, now I actually started um, a little bit in Australia. I can translate into five time zones almost instantaneously. Like I could tell you right now what time it is. Okay. It's three o'clock in LA. It is six o'clock in New York. Okay. It's five o'clock central, but like, that's an easy one. Um, <laughs> it is three, one second, hold on. Three, one, 11 PM in London. It is 7 AM in Australia. And it is three one a.m. in Jerusalem. Okay, yeah, you lived there at one point as well as Daniel, correct? I did for almost ten years. Okay, Daniel Geffen is a previous guest, and he's the one who introduced me to Esty. So I'm going to bring him up in a minute too, because I think when I was listening to an episode with Daniel, I might have inadvertently heard exactly kind of what you do. Now, very possible. I believe he was talking about how, as a podcaster, he was considering designing a course for other podcasters, but he didn't really have the energy or the inclination to do it because he'd be wasting time that he could be putting into something else that was going to directly pay him. And you devised a, a solution for him. Would you mind sharing that here? Totally. Totally. And it's one that I've done before. And it's all from exactly that angle. Like I say, more money, less headache. How do you make this thing easier and more profitable every single step? And so what I told Daniel is, and I happen to know him also, we actually were just on a call before we came to this episode. (laughs) Um, And I said, listen, I know you, you feed energy off of people and you work very well when you have an external schedule. And most of us do, right? Anyone that grew up in Western society, we're very used to bells ringing and things dinging for us to to make things happen. You have to be somewhere when you run your own business or you're going to create a course, you have to be extremely, extremely self-disciplined. Many people are not. And your classic entrepreneurial personality is definitely not. They're idea people. They're high energy people. They're not like, okay, it's two o'clock on a Tuesday. I'm going to sit down now and record the next episode. And I'm going to be super excited and energetic and on the ball. Like it doesn't happen. And so I uh, said to him, listen, you need it to make money. Great. Offer it at a low cost option. You can call it a beta or you can even do it at a full cost option as a live course to people who will pay in to be part of this course, that will do a few things. One, it will make it profitable as you create it. Two, it will give you the feedback that you need immediately to know what people are understanding and what they are. Instead of creating this course and getting feedback, I didn't understand this, I didn't understand that, and people aren't happy with it. You get immediate feedback. And three, you create the external schedule. People are waiting for you on the video conference. You better show up and you better have what to teach. So it kind of gives you that that last minute prep. And when you're done with it, you've been paid to create a course and you can now resell that course and the whole thing just works. Okay. And is that kind of what you do when you walk into a business is you say, what are your pain points? What are you trying to do? And because you're outside perspective, and I'm guessing because you also work with very different kinds of businesses, you might be able to say, you know, it's funny. This sounds weird, but um, I was doing something for a florist, which is totally not related to your dentist shop, but or whatever it is. But you can pull a process that maybe another kind of business does over to the original business. All the time. All the time. Um, I actually recently was was trying to figure out how to put it into words. and uh, And I think I figured it out. 
it's, it's my glasses. It's my ability to see things very clearly quickly and give those glasses over to give the client a paradigm shift in how they look at things. So I just had a call earlier with um, a commercial real estate guy. Okay. But this guy has a very unique model where instead of trying to get, you know, a couple high net worth clients to invest in giant deals, and, and this is part of it. I believe that small businesses live from the hearts of their business owners. And that's, again, that truth, it all, it all synergizes. To me, it's, I'm a functional theorist, right? When we talk about sociology, I'm, I'm not a conflict theorist at all. I'm a functional theorist. So everything fits into its place. And so all of these components create one whole. And so everybody's coming from what they want to bring to the world. And so I always look at where is this business owner coming from? And this guy was coming from a passion to help investors who didn't have a lot of money to still earn a return on it in a stable and, and good way. And so, but he was having a lot of trouble because people who have five, 10, 20, 30, 50, 60, $80,000 to invest usually cannot get in on any real estate deal, right? Unless they get adept at flipping houses and then it's very risky. Um, and they don't understand it and they don't know it. And so he was spending a huge amount of money creating this extremely wide funnel, trying to become this, you know, recognized expert and, uh, and educate people, to get them in. And I said to him, listen, your passion is for helping these people, right? Why are we not charging for the educational component? Why don't we build from the ground up? Okay. You're going to charge for the education. And some people might never invest with you, but A, you're still fulfilling your mission. And B, you've made this aspect of your business profitable, whereas now it's just a throwaway. And you have to market so much to get people to become an investor. You have to market much less to get people to come into a course, much lower barrier to entry. To get people to spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars with you is a lot harder than get people to spend two hundred. True, true. And so I thought, I thought yeah. you were gonna say that he was going to put together a fund to where they could all have pieces of bigger pieces of real estate because they didn't have enough to. So they can do that, but that's also, it takes a huge amount of marketing and how do I educate people that they can do this and they should do this. And why is it helpful to them? These are people who never looked at investing as an option for themselves or as a good option. And they're afraid of the risk because they don't have 5 million or 10 or 20 or $30 million to invest. They only have $50,000. Can I trust you to take my 50? Am I going to lose it? How do I know? How do I understand? And so the amount of education and convincing that has to be done there, but there's value just in that learning because maybe those people have a brother-in-law or a friend or a neighbor, or they've heard of another deal, just giving them the paradigm and perspective of how this thing works and what it looks like. There's huge value there. Charge for that. And it completely flips the model. It takes a piece of your funnel and puts it in your pyramid. Right. Mm -hmm. To me, the, the funnel is the part of the sales where I throw a lot of money in in the hopes of getting some money out. The pyramid right. is where I throw almost no money in and lots of money comes out. That's where all the money is. And so I take something where until now I've been doing for free, educating people and uh, in the hopes that they'll spend money with me. And I put it into my pyramid where people spend money with me in order to educate them. And once I've educated them, they're very likely to spend more money with me. But even if they don't, right. that's been profitable. And and. It just, it builds the whole thing in a completely different way. And it's the difference between big business and small business. And this makes me absolutely crazy. You want to rant? I'll give you a rant. Ready? What makes me absolutely crazy is people who look at big business models and think that I can replicate it as a small business, right? And this guy who, you know, a different guy that I spoke to, he said he, he was reading a book or he, he read like a, an article online, you know, the five things you need to do to, to start, to do your startup right? Mm -hmm. oh, well, he's a startup, not a startup. Okay. Startups get millions of dollars thrown at them and they don't need to account for it more or less. Okay. Cause if they fail, that money's just gone. That's a startup starting up when you're taking money out of your own pocket or a relative or a friend and you got to pay it back or you're having 18% interest on it is a completely different animal. And he's reading this book and it says, you know, is it better to create a product 
for an existing market or to just create the product and then find the market. And the book said, I kid you not, create the product and find or create your market. Are you joking? Hmm. Do you know how expensive that is? Yes, of course you can do it. It costs a huge amount of money. So if you're a startup, go ahead, create your market, throw your millions at it and hope that it works. If you're a small business, you find a market who's ready to pay for something today and you start selling it to them and you build on that. Well, that's a horrible message in multiple ways too, because it actually sounds like a, somebody who listened to too much Steve Jobs, but didn't actually look at his pattern of behavior. Or how long it took Apple to be profitable or how long it took any of the stuff he did. But he never invented anything. That's people don't realize that the MP three player existed before the iPod. Okay. But there was, I got one of the early generation iPods. There was still nothing like it. 20,000 songs in my pocket. Like, but he took something in the market. He improved on it. So everybody else did all the field research and he found everything that was wrong, all the pain points and then created a product. But people knew uh, by that point, Hey, Napster's here. I, I like hearing songs on a device. I like digital music. So he let the market and everybody else pay to train the people that they wanted digital music. Totally. And more than that, it was already something the market wanted. Like I, I'm not that old, but I still remember traveling and carrying my giant CD book in my hand luggage because mm-hmm. who knows which CD I'll want to listen to on the plane. Okay. Yeah. So I've got like, you know, my 300 CDs because which one am I going to want? And they're too valuable for me to put under the airplane. And to replace that with this tiny little thing that weighs less than a pound, it's mind blowing. Of course, people are ready to buy that. So that's not called creating something and then creating a market. That's called feeding into a market, even just explaining to them that you have something exactly. they want. Right. Totally different. I agree. That's why I said, but people interpret it as if it was this just crazy Brand new thing. Exactly. And now earlier you said something I thought was really fascinating and makes um, sense about charging people for the education. Ironically, if you charge somebody for something, they will actually give it more value. Always. And they will learn more from it. Um, It's a a problem that I have with uh, my wife. She's a library director and she faces issues all the time because people devalue their library. And I wish they could charge everybody 10 bucks for a library card. I hear that. Nominal fee. Doesn't matter, but it's just, everybody is paying for their library. They're paying for it through their taxes, but because it's obscured, they don't think of it. They think it's free. Totally. And they don't value it the same way. Like I know myself when I take out books from the library, don't worry, I end up paying for it afterwards when I forget to return (laughs) them. But I don't read them the same way as when I purchase a book. If I'm purchasing a book, it means I really want to read it. So I'll take six books out of the library and hope that I'm going to get to three of them. Right. Because I didn't have to pay to borrow them. And then I forget about them because I didn't get to them. And and then I do end up paying for them because they get overdue. That's a different story. But the ones I really like, I will pay for. And I I totally agree with this. And every once in a while, I'll get people who will send me a client and they'll subsidize them. They'll say, listen, Esty, I know you need to help this person. I'm going to fund it um, and I want you to help them. And they say, you know, can you do that? And I'll always say, I can do that, but your subsidy has to only be a percentage. The actual person I'm helping has to pay something. We'll figure out what they can pay. Again, sometimes the business is struggling. They really do. They just need to fill in certain pieces and maybe they can't afford it. And it's beautiful that sometimes they have friends or family or community members who will fund that. Um, or even if I'm doing through a nonprofit, you know, so I'll, I'll volunteer a portion of my time to, uh, to guide or mentor or, or even consult with business owners. I always say they've got to pay something or they won't feel the value the same way. Skin in the game. Yeah. It's got to be nominal. No, we just, we are 
uh, we're just these weird creatures <laughs> that when we put out something of ours, it is much more important to get something back. And so it's not just that I will value it more, but I will make sure to make something of it as well. So like if someone will get it, let's say free advice, right? Quote unquote, nothing's ever really free. Um, they're more likely to put it into play properly if they, it hasn't been totally free. Okay. Well, that, that call, uh, falls into um, the cognitive bias of uh, loss aversion, essentially. Right. I don't want to lose out even from my $20 investment or $50 investment right. or $5 investment in a cheap book. Um, I, I want to make sure that I get something from it. But of course, um, we're going to circle back to some of the people who gave coaches a bad name. They can feed into that because people will keep chasing it and throwing money at it. That Oh, just around that next corner, I'm going to solve it. I that think. I hate. That I can't stand. But you know what? In every industry and in every age, there have been charlatans. There have always been, you know, what we call the stereotypical used car salesman who he knows it's a lemon and you don't and you won't find out until it's too late guy. You know, and now I like to say that GoDaddy and HostGator are like the used car salesman of the Internet. For only $9.95, you will get everything you need. You've got your domain, your website, your email, your hosting, your we've got you covered. And then something doesn't work. They're like, oh, we didn't mention that. So that's just like another $5.95 a week for like the next six months. No problem. <laughs> we'll take care of it. We've got your back. And then the thing breaks like, oh, forgot to mention. You need the little mini upgrade for that. So that'll be $995 just for the year, just a one-time fee. But then we are totally on top of it. So in every industry, in every age, you've got these guys. And they'll always take advantage of people. And some of them do it purposefully, in my opinion. Most mm -hmm. of them don't. I think that for the most part, the people who take advantage in these areas, they don't know what they don't know. They don't mm -hmm. know that they're not really going to make a breakthrough. They don't know that, that they don't really know what they're doing. And I see this sometimes in marketing, a lot of times in marketing, where you know, someone will contact, let's say, a digital marketing agency. And a digital marketing agency only knows digital marketing, okay? That, that's what they know. That's what they do. And so mm -hmm. they don't have a broader view. So, for example, someone comes to me, I look at the whole online and offline marketing, and I'll have a guy say, well, I don't want to do any offline marketing. I'll say, like, that's fine. I'm still going to look at your offline marketing strategy because that might be smarter for you, and I won't give you bad advice. And they might not come to me, and that's fine because they're dead set on digital marketing, but then they'll go to the digital marketing agency, spend $50,000, and come out with zero because what they really needed was an offline marketing strategy or a complementary one where they drove people offline to online. And so they'll go to digital marketing agency and they'll say, okay, I need to drive sales. And the digital marketing agency say, great, that's what we do. We can totally do that for you. By the way, any marketer that ever says to you, totally can do that, no problem, gonna cost this much, gonna generate this, they're either lying or stupid because nobody ever knows. No, in okay. marketing, even if it worked yesterday for a similar company with a similar budget and a similar everything, the business owner is different, the network is different, the exact audience is different, and the competitor that just appeared out of nowhere tomorrow is also different. And so anyone mm -hmm. who guarantees you something, they're either lying or stupid. They've got to be able to give you the perspective of this is the risk, this is how it works, this is the structure, this is why it should work, and we test it in this way and we see. And that and that's really the way to go into it. But they go out and they do it. They don't know what they don't know. So they don't know, let's say, so I have a whole course where I teach marketing strategy to frontline marketers, right? To graphic designers and copywriters, because you can think you know something and you, and you might really know, but you might not understand why. And you don't know, there's no better way to say it than you don't know what you don't know. You've never tried it. And so until you fail, and then you're, even when you fail, you're like, not really sure why I failed. Must've been a fluke. 
let's do it again. <laughs> is it the old, if you only have a hammer, everything's a nail? Pretty much, pretty much. But it, it takes it even further than that. There are people who really, it's not just if you only have a hammer, everything's a nail. It's that I have a hammer and my hammer can do everything. It's not that it's just a nail. Even if I have a screw, my hammer can do screws. And even if it's a bolt, my hammer can screw in bolts. I use the back of it. And even it doesn't matter what it is. Hammers today fix, build everything. And that's how some people will look at digital marketing because that's what they know. And they've seen it work in specific areas. And so they think it'll work across the board. I think you had a story about a nursing home or something. Uh, which one? Let me think. <laughs> oh, the old age. Yes, I remember that guy. Oh, no. So this was the, we're talking about, I know what we're talking about. I think you'll tell me if I'm right. Um, so I had this guy who calls me up and he said, Esty, I got your name from someone and I heard you do social media marketing for people. And I know if I would just do social media marketing for my business, it would totally take off. No, nope, that's a very reasonable assumption in 2018. Totally mm -hmm. possible. There are many businesses like that. They just need to upgrade, get into digital a little bit, and it'll really take them to the next level. So I say, yeah, tell me a little bit more about it. Definitely possible. So what do you do? He runs continuing education for geriatrics. <laughs> okay. Um, so, okay, we're, we're going to explore. Uh, fine. So you do this in assisted care facilities or he's like, no, no, no. Um, specifically, we target geriatrics who are still living independently. We try to create a sense of community for them, keep their minds sharp. Um, so we're targeting ones that live on their own. I say, okay, are you trying to get to them through their kids? Like he said, no, trying to reach them directly. I want those that are sharp enough to understand what we're doing so they can really absorb from, from the classes. Okay. I said, so we're talking like the 70 plus age group, right? He's like, yeah. I said, I'm almost speechless because like it's it's still not clear to him at all that this that there's any kind of a mismatch here. I said, "Is your audience on social media?" He's like, "No, oh, I don't know because I'm not because he's in his late sixties and everybody talks about social media." And his kids told him, and his neighbors told him, and his everybody said to him, "You've got to get your business on social media, and then it will work." Hmm. And I said to him. Your guys are not on social media. You could do, and you know what, if I, I bet if he went to a digital marketing company, they might've done it for him because yeah, we could totally reach everybody. There are definitely older people online. Maybe they'll even devise a strategy to go through the kids and he'll spend $50,000 and they'll do a massive Facebook marketing campaign and they'll build him a profile and a business page. And I said to him, I'm not even going to help you. You're going to go to a local print shop. You're going to design a flyer. You're going to hang it up in the restaurants and the community centers where these guys and ladies hang out. And that's it. And he's like, Oh, flyers. Yeah, that's a great idea. They totally see flyers. I said, and if you want to go next level, you're going to do a postcard mailing. And we're done. Mm -hmm. And if you want, I'll help you design that. But otherwise, you're not. You do not need. And this cure-all, there is no one solution for anything. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's really good information. Is, and is that half of what you are doing is to try to find the most appropriate action for a client? For sure. For sure. I would love to say that's even most of what I'm doing. And then my team is, is implementers. Once we find the right solution, you know, so if we decide that solution is a rebrand or a marketing or a database, right? Cause sometimes someone will come with what they think is a staffing issue and it's really just an operations issue. They're just all over the place. They do not need to hire more people. They just need to streamline how those people work. And so it's a systems issue. Um, so part of it's just identifying what exactly is the problem and the solution. And then what I always wanted to build was a full service consulting firm because businesses, small businesses, they can find advice and they could find consultants and they can find coaches and separately they could find database companies and they could find marketing companies, and they could find designers and they could find financial advisors. 
can you get that all in one perspective where your finance person will not disagree with your marketing person who will not disagree with your staffing advisor? So we look at kind of the total picture. And then I have people on my team who can actually make it happen. Sometimes the client has someone they like using, so we'll just bring them in, right? So um, we'll, we'll take, and that's part of how I find my best people because the client's got this designer they love. I'm like, I like you too. You'll be one of my okay. new designers. Um, that's how I find a lot of my people. But get it all in one place that it makes sense and take that broad picture, um, that, that, that snapshot of what actually needs to happen here. And now let's make it happen. Whether with your people or with my people, if I think you need to do rebranding, we can actually do the rebranding. If I think you need to build a database, we're going to actually help you build that database if you want to. Okay. And how, how, um, how does your um, work spectrum work? I mean, do you work continuously year round for people or do you like work hot on a month because this is going to be a project or an initiative and then you kind of cool off and then they call you back in for something else later. What is always the latter, business? always the latter. And I've, I've been called an unconsultant for many reasons. And this is one of them. I was once sitting at a dinner and the guy next to me worked for, I won't say one of the very large national consulting firms, international multinational consulting firms. And I'm like, cool, you do business consulting also. And so we're just chatting and he's like, I say, I have to tell you, like, you're not really a consultant because as a consultant, we need our clients to be very dependent on us. And we make our contracts for a year at a time. And when that year is up, we make sure that they need to renew it for another year. And I'm like, that's disgusting. And this is why I do what I do. I make sure that my clients do not need to renew anything. I make them as independent as possible. I work with most people between like one and three months is like our peak time to get something moving. And then I have clients I'm working with for over eight years. I have people that I'm working with since I started my company. Um, And as I've grown and they've grown, we just keep coming back. One of my guys actually... I've been working with on and off for eight years. I just got a message from yesterday. I didn't hear from him for like two months. Got a message yesterday. SD, we're looking into Google AdWords. What do you think we should do about it? I wrote him back. He wrote back. Okay, let's do this. You know, so they, they come back and forth. Um, definitely that. And I think that's the only way for a small business to operate. If you need a consulting firm and you need... Now, my business coach, I'm always in touch with her. There are like more peak times and more slow times. But if you need me and I make you need me, I think I've done something wrong. Mm. How, how do you control that though? Because I, I would be concerned of the you know, feast or famine. Um, so I actually was told when I started this company by a mentor of mine who I respect very much. Um, and I said, you know, like, what do you think? This is what I'm thinking of doing. And he said, you're going to be terrible at it. I said, wow, thanks so much. And why is that? He said, because you're very good at being dispensable. It's just my natural inclination. Um, and he said, in consulting, just like that guy told me, name of the game is being indispensable. And mm. so I work with a lot of clients. Um, like we have an average of between 20 and 30 at a time. And a lot of small businesses, and I'll say I had the same issue a couple of years back. We had three very large clients. We still had a couple little ones, but I had three very big ones. And right around the same time, all three petered out. One ran out of money, one switches marketing companies every two years, like clockwork. And one, um, I had built his team so well, again, because my goal is to be dispensable that I had become dispensable. Like he basically right. said to me, I want you to come on as our CMO. I said, no, you can't pay me as much as I can earn on my own. I'll build your team. So I helped him hire his creative director and his um, copywriter and his digital marketer. And like I built his team and I moved to more of a consulting role, but that means I stepped back a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, after a more intense contract. And suddenly it was like very quiet. <laughs> um, and so, and this is what I teach people. If you rely on 
any one, but even two or three large clients, two or three is usually pretty stable because usually they won't all leave at once. Like that was a special circumstance just for me so that I could build the skill set that I need to pass on. Um, you lose your referral base because you only got one guy. And so small businesses, if you don't want to be doing a tremendous amount of marketing, you want to have a wide referral base. Okay. So again, whether you're active on social media or you're speaking or you're writing or you're blogging, but you're not blogging and hoping people will show up. You're blogging with proper SEO or writing for other publications that there are actual eyeballs on what you're writing. Okay. So you're doing an ongoing attention getting exercise constantly, you know, in business terms, putting people into your funnel. So they're always passing through. Part of that is having a wide referral base. If you work with a lot of clients, naturally your name will start being passed around more and more. And so that's a big part of how we do it. We work with a lot of clients in order to work with a lot of clients. And I'm constantly putting people into my funnel. When I am super busy, when I have not a minute to breathe in my entire schedule because we're at peak capacity, I'm still doing lead generation always. Okay. Is that um, changing gears? Is that what your um, business breakthrough podcast is as well? Definitely, definitely part of it. Um, for me, the business breakthrough podcast, I look at it more as my long range follow-up, honestly. So, um, in sales, you have what I would term short-term and long-term follow-up, right? Mm-hmm. Short-term is I've gotten a lead and I'm going to, you know, speak to them, follow up with them, reach out to them, see if I can convert them to a client. If I can't, I'm going to put them into long range, whether that is general social media, right? Whatever that means for each business, whatever platform you're on, um, making sure you're still visible, whether you're doing an email newsletter, whether it's weekly or monthly, quarterly is a bit of a stretch. Um, Daily, just stop being annoying. Okay. So there's like (laughs) a range there. um, And I get some things daily and I'm like, I'm going to cancel you. I don't care how interesting this is. You're just bothering me now. This is too much. So there's a nice balance somewhere between weekly and and monthly. That's Mm -hmm. pretty fair for long range. So I started my podcast. Don't laugh at me. I honestly started my podcast because my whole drive when I started my company was to help small business owners and Mm -hmm. provide for them more for less, right? How do I keep prices low and services high? And as my company's grown, as my values grown, my prices have gone up, understandably. Although the truth is they haven't by much. Someone reached out to me recently. She's like, you know, an old client. Um, she said, you know, and so what do you charge these days? And I told her, she's like, whoa. I said, honestly, it's cheaper. Because when you worked with me, and I know when she worked with me, it would have taken me five hours to do what you need. It'll take me mm. one now. All of my systems are in place. My processes, I have worksheets for that right now. I can just walk you through the whole thing. And it's much faster. So it's essentially cheaper, but it doesn't feel that way. And sure. for for some people, you know, when I first started, I think I was charging like $50 an hour, right? That's affordable to almost anybody. And uh, I started the podcast because I wanted to make, I wanted to make what I do available for people who couldn't pay. Is that ridiculous? Like, I really mean it. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I really wanted to do that. I wanted to set something. And again, it's totally marketing, right? I'm highlighting what I do. I'm getting my name out there. I'm reaching a new audience. The drive was that though. Yeah. Well, you have, um, you've stated this statement multiple times that you, to build your business, give people a taste while letting them know there's so much more there. I think you've said that multiple times. Could it be said that you're trying to do that in the podcast? So they know there's a lot more there, but maybe they're not able to afford it now, but maybe they can take the tip you've got and get to the point where they can afford it. For sure. For sure. And that's how I do all my workshops, by the way, like drinking water from a fire hose. So you're going to come, you're going to listen to anything I do. You're going to come away with a lot of information. 
because I don't believe in wasting people's time. I've never done, you know, what they term a sales workshop, you know, where you go in and the entire workshop is basically telling you how you need to buy this thing in order to benefit. I hate those. I think they're absolutely, they're just disgusting, right? People's time and lives are too valuable for them to waste an hour for you to sell them something. So my whole strategy in sales has always been, I'm going to give you a ton of stuff that you can benefit from. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to know that when you need help, I'm here. Right. Or you just give me too much. I just can't even deal with it. How much do you cost? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's too. That's that like, works too. That's like you're giving me a degree in three months. I don't have time. Okay. <laughs> no, that's overwhelming. I thought it would be easy. I thought you just give me four tips and I can move on. Right. Yeah. Try a degree in three hours. Yeah, basically. <laughs> wow. Well, moving on, um, I want to go and wrap up there. Now, people can find you at strandconsulting.net. They can. Um, they can also find me at estiran.com, E-S-T-I-E-R-A-N-D. That <laughs> site is much more dynamic. The strandconsulting.net is a static site, right? So we have a bunch of things up there. Um, there are cool downloads and giveaways and workshops and things that you can get even without giving me your email right? Because I'm this wacko and I'm actually looking to change a whole bunch of my sites because it started annoying me that no matter where you go, if you want something, you have to trade your email. Now it is reasonable. And I think there are certain things that are worth trading. And I wish it you would track it though point, with a cookie because every time you, you go to a new page, you have to keep submitting a new email for every new thing. That right. gets so really annoying. It gets really annoying and you can track it. And I've just gotten to the point where I've always been different. My quote in my high school yearbook was actually dare to be different. That's actually what it really says. And so I'm just watching this world go to the point where everybody's offering you their white paper solution, masterclass. I've stopped. I'm not doing masterclasses anymore. I'm doing smarter classes now. So I'll be running a smarter class in the fall of 2018 um, on marketing for non-marketers. It's not a masterclass because I'm not going to pretend that you're going to be a master after that one hour, but you will be smarter. And so like, I've always been like against the trend kind of a personality. Um, like when everyone's hair was straight, mine was curly and vice versa. Like whatever, whatever everyone else is doing, I'm like, that's just bothering me that everybody looks the same. I need to look a little different. Um, and so <laughs> this world has gone to, you know, you've got to give your email to get everything or anything. Right. I'm like, you know what? You don't. You don't because two days later, you're just going to do- unsubscribe from my list. So I'm not going to bother. I'm just going to give you some stuff for free. And if you like it, then you'll click subscribe because you actually want to hear from me. Now, there are some things that I think are too valuable to give away without that. Like if I've done like a really like I've made a whole guide or I have this 77 promotional strategies, which at the moment is up to 139 that I'm giving away. So at the moment, I want your email if I'm going to give you that because that was a lot of work. That took me a lot of time. Um, But like a handout, a download, a quick paper, maybe a contract sample. I don't know. I feel like you could just take that. Like I would, if you emailed me and said, Hey, I said, people have done that. Hey, SD, would you mind sending me this? I would totally send it to you. Although the truth is when you do that, I have your email. (laughs) (laughs) There's that. Just email me and I'll get it to you. Yeah, that's right. Just shoot me an email. I'll send it right over. You don't have to like submit your email in a form or anything. Just shoot me a quick message. Save the time. (laughs) Um, but yeah. Excellent. How we got here. Oh yeah. Find me at sdran.com and listen to my business breakthrough podcast. Cause there really is a lot of free advice there. And it's just a lot of cool stuff and a lot of cool people who I get to talk to. And you should like listening to it. If you like listening to people, talk to people. Yes. And uh former guest here, Daniel Geffen has been on there. 
That's right. And John Lee Dumas, who is like the most famous business podcaster of all time and some upcoming really cool episodes with, I think regular people are in some ways much more exciting than well-known people because well-known people you can access in so many different ways and getting the wisdom of the everyday guy, you know, um, and understanding how the model works of their business to me is almost more fascinating, you know, so listening to a regular guy, like we just had an episode, I think it was 20, um, Yoel Judowitz, who's a creative, he's an illustrator and he's built this whole company, almost like the way Disney built his operation, you know, with, um, like an assembly line, you know, for creating this, these, um, illustrations and drawings. It's fascinating how he's turned a creative talent into this like very structured, systematized business. And he's built it on LinkedIn, which is not usually a place for creatives. And so learning his story to me is, it's one of the most fascinating episodes. It's a great it's one. It's a good show. I've, I actually listened to that one. Yeah. So, so like these people, they're just learn from everybody. Everybody's got a story to tell you and everybody's struggle teaches you something. And that, that's why I made the show. That's a perfect point to wrap up. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Mr. Hayes' office, how may I help you? Andrea, it's Marilyn over at Kennedy Parker Construction. Hello, Marilyn. Would you like me to connect Mr. Parker to Mr. Hayes? A fish surrounded by sharks. A secretary cursed by desire and ambition. Introducing the diarist by Donna Barrow Green. The Diarist, an addictive psychological thriller, satirical, suspenseful, and full of twists. Available on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Yes. I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings. Or if something I've said has led you to believe I think you're incompetent. It's just been so long since you've given me any encouragements or compliments on my... Andrea. I do notice you. I like that blouse on you, very much. You look very pretty, just as you are right now. Oh, well, I... It's very pretty on you. Thank you. What sort of fabric is it? It's silk. It's lovely. You have excellent taste in clothes. I notice. Would you mind removing your cardigan? My sweater? Yes, so I can see the blouse in its entirety. Why? I like it very much. You see, I do notice you. You know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you I notice these things. You know when I like something, don't you? I don't know. I repeated his words in my mind. I notice you. That was it, wasn't it? I wanted someone to notice me. Not Andrea the daughter, the wife, the secretary. Not even Andrea the artist or ad girl. I wanted someone, anyone, to see me. More than anything, it was Richard. Please don't think unkind of me, dear reader. Mm.